Hey guys, this is your host, Daniel Hoff. Remember, if you are wondering what we look like, what these animals that we're talking about look like, what these places look like, we have an Instagram, a Facebook, and a YouTube. Get a better vision of what we're talking about and throw a subscribe our way. It does help the podcast out. Now, today we have a guest who is an old friend who I haven't really had a chance to connect since COVID kicked in. And uh, we had him on today to just do that. And just like old friends always do, we talk about the glory days. We talk about some crazy experiences that we had. And we talk about some controversial issues. So I do hope you guys enjoy my conversation with my friend, Mr. Greg Wolf. Good to go? <laughs> Welcome to Ocean Folk Podcast, the podcast where we speak to people who the ocean speaks to. We explore the stories of those who explore the ocean. Greg Wolf, welcome to Ocean Folk Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, man. It's been a while. We haven't seen each other in a little bit. Yeah, no, I haven't been around the dive shop much and that crowd so with the covid it's been a it's been a long time dude covid has put a shutdown on so many different things i feel very lucky that i've gotten out and about as much as i have i did a lot of the podcast recordings before uh covid kind of hit bad so i was able to release while things were at the worst and now we're here we're outside of it a little bit at least it feels like it feels like we're on the downward slope out thank goodness yeah it feels like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and know that it's Real light, hopefully. Oh, man. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, and you got your <laughs> shot. Your, yes. Your first shot, yeah. right? First one. So when's your second? Next week. Yeah. Ooh. So yeah. you uh, you planning a day off the day after? No, I work for myself, so I don't, I don't take days off like that. Come on. Oh, wow. No. My my. It's funny. My son, I, th- I told you earlier, my son really got wrecked by the first shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had no symptoms whatsoever. And then my wife had the J&J shot. And oh, no issues whatsoever. I mean, which is weird because isn't the Johnson Johnson one that's supposed to be a little more dangerous for women? It throws the blood clots in the women. Yeah, that's come out since then. But I oh, think it's a younger woman. Yeah, no, no, this was before that. She's she works for the school district too, so she oh, okay. got it. Oh gosh, over a month ago, maybe six, eight weeks ago now. Oh, okay. And so yeah, you know, she had a little bit of like I don't know. I think it was more in her head. The next day she was right as rain, so she's not had any issues. Um, you know, we've been really tight about it because we're around my in-laws a lot and they're both in their eighties. So you have to be mindful of that. And you know what I do for a living? I'm out in the public all the time. And so I'm very mindful of my interactions with people and how I'm interfacing with them and personal space and distancing and that sort of stuff. It's crazy, right? You don't want to be like, it's one thing if you get sick due to your own like misdoings, but like, it's another thing if you give it to a bunch of people, man, like I would feel like. Terrible. Right. Yeah. You know, you were just talking about that guy who flew into Hong Kong and gave it to like 40 people on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's unbelievable that uh, something like that can still happen nowadays. And all those people tested negative before the trip. So it's going to be a while before I get on a plane. I've done it. It's nerve wracking. Um, it, the the dinner service is where you feel like all safety protocols fall apart 
It's about midway through the flight. Uh, people are sick of wearing their mask. Sure. They have an excuse. They can eat, and just you can just see all the laxness kind of come out, and it's just it's a rough thing. It's a rough thing because you know everybody gets to make their own decisions, but everybody on that flight is kind of depending on everybody else to be you know good with their safety. So it's tough. It's just tough. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to be you don't want to be that Karen, you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't want to be that Karen. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So. Um, Dude, I want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff because back, you know, pre-COVID, we we were did the routes with both classes, mm-hmm. and uh, talk a little bit about your boat and your charter business, which has since passed on. Unfortunately, uh, I, I miss it. If I Me too. Honest. Yeah, Me yeah too. right. Yeah, especially when the weather's like nice like today, and you're just thinking, oh, could be on a boat. Yeah, right now. totally. I bet you don't miss the boat costs though. No, you know what I don't. The cost wasn't the big deal. The maintenance was the big deal. Really, the the hours and hours you put in to just keeping things running and keeping things nice and you know not falling apart. And that was the main reason why I sold the boat was because I always told myself I wasn't going to be one of those people who had a boat that was sitting in a dock or sitting in storage, just rotting away in the sun. And uh, I got so busy with work, uh, my the one that pays my mortgage that I just didn't have time in six, seven months, eight months. And I'm just thinking this is uh, this is not a wise way to spend my money. And, you know, then you're going down and washing it every couple months to not use it. That's lame, too. So, yeah. And I put it up for sale and sold it in 10 days, which was a mistake. Clearly, I didn't price it right. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. 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 How long did you have it before you get rid of it? Uh, I sold it. It was a it was a thirty foot Parker. Yeah, 28 foot Parker. Parker. I bought it in uh, two thousand seven, right before the the economy went to crap. Ah. See, I bought it back east. It was going to be a flipper boat. I, that's what I was going to do. So that particular type of boat you can buy back east. And they're thirty, forty thousand dollars less than you get them here on the West Coast. No kidding. And all, but you have to, you have to take into the fact you got to get it shipped out here and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I got connected. Shipping a boat across the state cost a couple grand. Yeah, a couple grand. Um, but again, it was the, I'm going to flip it, so it's going to be cash money at the end of the day. Um, so I did. I got, I got a screaming deal. It was one year old when I bought it, oh, and wow. brought it out here. The the previous owner had put all the electronics on it, so it was like ready to roll. And um, then uh, I, I got it out here, and it was so nice to go use, and it was just like, let's go dive. So I do it the summer, and then, you know, the winter time is never the right time to sell a boat, right? Nobody yeah. thinks about going out on boats when it's overcast and cr- raining, right? But you know what's a great time to do in the winter with a boat? Is lobster fishing. Is lobster yes, diving, yes. Absolutely. Or just diving in general. Some of our best days diving oh, yeah. in California are during the winter. Absolutely. That's when the water is the clearest, so mm-hmm. for sure. So yeah, I, I kept it uh, I kept it going and um, you know ended up the price of boats and houses and everything went down in the recession and uh, hold on to it a little longer yeah hold on to it a little longer and then you know uh, we started doing uh, more and more classes dive classes and you know we started telling stories about this trip and that trip many of w- which you were on yeah you know especially diving the wrecks down in San Diego and that sort of stuff. Lots of fun diving those wrecks. Uh, diving, I think I have one of my best dives ever off your boat. The time we went down, we did a night dive on the Yukon. Oh, yeah. 
one of my favorite dives as well. And that I remember, I remember that dive more than any because I, I think I had asked you at one point, "What is your favorite dive?" And you're like, "Oh, the Yukon at night when you can see all the divers' lights illuminating different parts of the wreck as you're swimming along if it's super clear." And so surreal. And then we had that night, and I was like, "Greg was right. This is so cool." Yeah. I was like, this is the best. Yeah, that's that that's that's one of my favorite dives in Southern California too. Um, so yeah, so we we, we started uh, we started getting people more and more people wanting to to go on the boat. Yeah, and you know, fuel isn't cheap and that sort of stuff. So it's like, well, you want you hope people are willing to pitch in, and then you start to see a business opportunity where like you know, well, if we went full legit, you know, but then what does that entail? Uh, we have and to how much do you have to run to make your money back? Exactly. And what does it look like? And I, I was just hoping just to offset the costs of, of course. my having fun diving on the boat. and uh, But, you know, it involves getting licensing and getting your captain's license, which I never had before. Um, getting the proper insurance, which is actually harder to do as a privateer than you would think. Really? On a six-pack boat. Just because the uh, lenders, I had a loan on the boat. Yeah. The lenders are very apprehensive for you to use your boat oh, for any because, sort of business purposes. Because it creates a liability. Right. And you could get it sued. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, you know, things happen on the water all the time. So, anyway, we eventually got the right, everything lined up, and we were running the charters for a couple of years. And we were having a lot of fun. Man, we ran lots of trips locally. Uh, lots of trips. Had a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean... How many, how many times did you guys go out to Catalina? Oh. Well over a hundred times. Oh man! You took people out there all the time. Yeah, I, I, I wish I had done a better job of keeping records of that sort of stuff. Now, <laughs> uh, seriously, says, says every captain <laughs> yeah. ever. You know, not that long ago, I, uh, I, I told you I moved before yeah. we started. I told you I moved, and I found a file, and it was, you know an inch and a half thick and it was all these signed releases and I'd already thrown away a bunch of releases right. and I but out of the woodwork comes this other 150 releases that people sign where you got to remember when we're running a boat at six people yep. a pop that's and a lot have, of trips yeah the, you you took that thing out a yeah. bunch yeah so so after all that did you find a favorite like honey spot that you liked in Catalina or here in southern california that you just thought was cooler than anything else yeah you know I'm one of those guys, I like to kind of go off the beaten path, um, but there are certain dive spots in Catalina that are just great dive spots. You can't beat it, even though, you know, you could jump on a cattle boat and go there just about every weekend. You know, um, Blue Cavern comes to mind, yeah, Blue you know, Seafan Grotto, those sorts of places. That whole area of that of the island is a really special area. It just the... The geology is so different than the rest of the island. It's just really an epic dive. And you can get into sections where you might as well be uh, doing a wall dive because the bottom is who knows how far, and it's almost vertical. And so you get a lot of experiences. And, you know, I've had close encounters with many white uh, black sea bass out there, you know, because yeah. uh, Italian Gardens area, which is just uh, west of Long Point. Oh, it's west of Long Point. Yeah, just west of Long Point. And, I mean, in the in the summer, that's where you find all the black sea bass. I mean, 15, 20 a dive yeah. you'll encounter. So, yeah, it's, cool a, it's really cool. And so I like the off-the-beat path, you know, off-the-beaten path sort of thing. 
Um, but there's great places. I've dove, I, I tell people all the time, I dove, I dove in the dive park in Avalon hundreds people, of times. People love that spot, man. It's, it's, a, it's a well-loved spot. There's there's a cool stuff to see there. I mean, yeah. I, I I was fortunate enough. I saw my first shark there. Which you shark know? did you see? It was a leopard shark. Ah. <laughs> but it was okay. Those guys are cool. I yeah. like them. Yeah, when, I'd know. say they're probably the most charismatic shark in California waters. They're very beautiful too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very very beautiful. Um, you know, it was like a four and a half foot leopard shark, and when it's your first shark, your eyes go big and your heart starts pounding so then you realize okay it's just a leopard shark it couldn't hurt me if i stuck my hand in his mouth but everybody has one of those stories where they're like i saw a shark oh and it's just okay i shouldn't make a big deal people are gonna make fun of me yeah <laughs> yeah but i like a lot of divers that's where you know i did a lot of my early diving yeah, yeah. when you don't have a boat that's a great place to kind of have that boat dive experience mm-hmm. where uh, you get ni- nice clear water yeah nice clear water there's a lot of life that goes through there mm-hmm. um oftentimes you have to go um, places off a beach that are remote to get the same amount of life and that you can get just in that little park. But, uh, yeah, saw my first, uh, eel there, free swimming eel. Oh, free swimming eel. Yeah. Yeah, Those guys are creepy. Yeah. I just, I just saw, I, I don't know my, my foreign eels as well as my local eels, but we were in the Dominican Republic and I found a, one of those kind of giraffe patterned, uh, tropical eels free swimming and, uh, that's always a trip. Dude. Yeah. It was like going in the coral and like digging stuff out. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is cool. I like yeah. yeah. Those, are, those are always fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love eels. I hate snakes, but I love eels. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't make any sna- sense, but. It's, yeah. I, it's just a little bit of water makes a difference, <laughs> man. That's all it is. Totally. Well, so, but you were out there too. Um, like even without diving, you were out at Catalina a lot for fishing, right? Yeah. You used to hit the patties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before I was doing charters and stuff like that on the boat, yeah. we were doing, you know, weekends, three days. Well, you, a, were chasing, a you were chasing ghosts. Yeah. White sea bass. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we chased a lot of stuff, but the white sea bass was a particularly uh, difficult fish to figure out. It, once you figure it out, it seems simple. You know, I guess it's like calculus or something. When you look back, you can't understand why you had such a hard time with it, but until you break that threshold and well, really what was that like well for it's a... you because like how long did it take before you felt like you had the equation down you know uh easily two years and because the windows you know the window is like maybe march through june is okay. the best so time not all year around. right and so you know they're around but when you have the the best chance of catching them is when the squid are spawning Okay. Okay. So, you know, you'll have the squid boats going to the backside of Catalina. That's your sign. There's white. You know, there's going to be white sea bass back there. There's a lot of things that come back there to feed on, on the squid, but especially the white sea bass. And yeah, it can be infuriating. I mean, you can spend all night rocking on a boat till the muscles in your neck are cramping, and the boat next to you is catching one after the other, and you're oh my God. not catching anything, or maybe a ray now and then. And, you know, it's all about, you know. Rays do not taste as good. <laughs> yeah. Now, and the first one is fun because it's something pulling on your line. But after that, it's just a nuisance, right? Right. So, and, you know, not very many things come out of the ocean tasting better than white sea bass. So, if you take, which I, I, I do responsibly, I try to do responsibly at least. Right. Um, you know, there's nothing. Maybe lobster is better than a white sea bass. Oh, no, I disagree. Yeah. I'm not a big I love my, 
I love catching lobster. It is one of my favorite things. I do not like eating them. Really? No, it's not my favorite. How do you I would prepare take, them? I would take crab over lobster any day of the week. Fair enough. Fair enough. Crab is delicious too. It's the more work. Yeah. Um, I usually I'll broil them. My favorite way to do it now, the only way that I can kind of get away with it, is I just I'll I'll mix it with a combination of cream cheese brie Ooh. and um uh either sour cream or creme fraiche and turn it into a dip. Yeah. And if I have enough lobster meat in there and some paprika and a couple other spices, if I have enough lobster in there with that and it's all mixed together, I feel like I can taste the lobster, but it still tastes like cheese enough that yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm okay good. with it. We're yeah. good. That, that's, that, that's great. Well, you know, you're the best kind of diver friend to have then. <laughs> the <laughs> right? one who goes out and catches them and then brings them home. Hey, you want some lobster? Yeah, I exactly. <laughs> uh, wh- how do you cook them? I, I cook them like they do in Mexico. Basically, split them in half and cook them on an open grill. Oh, man. Dude, that's just a little lemon, a little butter. Very simple. Maybe a little salt if you're that, if you like adding salt to st- stuff. But it's very simple and very delicious. Wow. My friend Alex, he likes to do them on the grill as well. There might be something to that that I just don't know. I haven't had a chance to try it his way. But instead of keeping it in the shell, he'll actually skewer them to keep them from curling up so you get an even yeah, He'll brilliant. butterfly them. And so he does it that way. He he claims it's amazing, but he also he has a little bit more broad taste than I do. Okay. I, I just I'll eat I I don't mind oysters, but uh, lobster just doesn't do it for me. That's that that's fair. I mean it it's a weird ass creature. It might be weird. No, it's a weird ass creature. I mean, and you see, if you take a it's minute, a cockroach. yeah, and look at it, it's like it's a cockroach. It's a giant sea scorpion. <laughs> To quote Jim Gaffigan, you know, like, yeah. and I don't even want to know what those things eat. Yeah, like everything that's dead on the oh bottom. Oh my god, it can't be good, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like people talk about, uh, you know, you you get sharks sometimes, and they have all kinds of weird parts in them and stuff. And it's like, I guarantee a lobster has worse stuff. We just don't look at its stomach contents. Like yeah. that's the only difference. True. You know, like they're they're garbage eaters on the bottom. Yeah, but. White sea bass is supposed to be amazing. I had uh, rockfish recently, mm. and it was amazing. Like, as a ceviche, mm. or I'm sorry, a sashimi. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I had a buddy who was testing out a recipe on me. He did a rockfish ceviche tostada. Okay. And it was like it was like a, a mango salsa verde thing and it was just mind blowing so did he just cook it with a little lemon he didn't even cook it it was sashimi sliced it was like nice and thin it was on top oh. of a tostada he had like a uh, he had uh, rings of mango uh, radishes and uh, avocado obviously and um, something there was something else in there too but oh my god it was so good very cre- very creative yeah that sounds delicious you know. I was like, you need to come back and do this again. Yeah, but uh, well, you get a you get a white a fresh white sea bass because frozen is always different, right? Fish is always different when it's frozen. It doesn't matter what fish it is and cooked. Yeah, but cooking cooking oftentimes ruins a lot of fish for sure if you overcook it. Um, but white sea bass for me is just so fantastic, fantastic. It's just a delicate fish, but very hearty. Not like halibut that's so. Flaky, you know, flaky. yeah. This is more hearty, more like a tuna. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so. But a uh, white meat thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, when we would come back from white sea bass trips, we'd throw the fillet on the barbecue, and just pass around three forks, three four forks, whoever was there. We just <laughs> ate it right off the grill. Didn't even have time to hit a plate. You know, it's that good. So. Oh my God. So what else did you go for other than white sea bass? We we did lots of trips. We, you know, the boat was called Fort Tuna, so obviously it was the idea was for chasing tuna, which we did. We did some of that out of San Diego as well. Um, but those trips are are exhausting. You know, you're you're getting down to San Diego and then you're leaving at like three in the morning to get out to the grounds. You know, hundred miles offshore. So it's what, what uh, was the round trip on your uh, gas tank? What could it do? The furthest I ever did was 187 miles. That's long. That's long. Um, 250 gallons. But a lot of that's, you know, trolling, too. So you're not using a lot of fuel. Okay. But, um, yeah, man. I mean, you know, those trips those trips are fun, but they're so exhausting, you know. And uh, then uh, we would also do diving, diving for lobster. I mean, as soon as I found a group of friends that wanted to chase lobster as much as I did, that's that's what we were obsessed with. Okay, so do you? I have to bring this up because you're talking about lobster. Do you remember when we dove for lobster on San Mateo rocks? Yeah. Do you remember the toxic sludge that was on the water? <laughs> yes. Like it was like there was like at least a. Did we come across patches of this nasty? It looked like insulation foam. <laughs> On top of the water, terrible. and we jumped in, and that's when we realized that there's this everywhere, and we're like, "Well, we're we're here. We should probably still go." <laughs> like, and then when we got underwater, it was the wildest dive I have ever yeah. had. Me too. I was thinking about that driving over here today. It was diving in a washing machine. It was. Un- it's the only time I've ever done cartwheels underwater, <laughs> and not like because of a wave, technically, but we were like on top of because. San Mateo Rocks is a series of, like, uh, there's exposed rocks, which was a whole nother thing, because as we're getting to where we're trying to dive, we had, like, I don't know if it was me or Josh on the front of the boat, like, where's the rock? Where's the rock? Like, hoping we didn't go aground. Right. And then we finally kind of spotted something. We set anchor. And then when we got in the water, there was a six-foot surge everywhere we went. So we're six foot. Oh, there's a lobster. Okay, surge back. And then six foot four, grab the lobster, put it in your bag, six foot back, keep swimming. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Oh, my God. I remember I was like, I, I don't know if you got this way, but I remember getting back on the boat, and I'm like, I think I'm seasick. Like, I think I think I just got seasick underwater, which, you know, after 400 dives, it doesn't happen very often. I don't remember feeling seasick, but, you know, uh, you know that sensation when you get off being on a boat all day? And it happens to me when I get in the shower, okay? When I get home and get in the shower. And then my inner ear starts having me. I feel like I'm still rocking on a boat. Oh. Does that ever happen to you? Uh, it doesn't often. Okay. It has happened. So I've done multi-day trips on a boat. And that's when I get back on shore and I'm like, hmm. Like, I, I start to, like, feel a little wobbly, yeah. especially if I sit down in my car and I have a long drive afterwards, which usually I do. So, like, that's when I get it. But the little land land sickness. Yeah, yeah, a little, little land, land sickness. sickness. Oh, I remember getting home after that trip and getting in the shower and holding on. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was – I was going down otherwise. Oh my it, God. Yeah, it, it was such a rocky – 
that was fun though. You know, the cool thing about it was, you know, we were able to dive it together and we know each other's abilities. We weren't worried. We weren't terrified for each other. No, we, we, you know, we could keep our eye on each other, but maybe not exactly see each other, see the glow. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Ian's over there. Okay. You know, and yet no, nobody's going to freak out. Nobody's going to do something to get themselves hurt. And it was just fun. I love, I love those kind of experiences because. Well, Okay, there's always different reasons to dive, one of which is the adventure, right? Sure. And we definitely were like, this is going to be an adventure tonight. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're like, ah, toxic foam on the surface, <laughs> terrible swell, but sketchy there... rocks. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> but there was no warning on the surface that there was that surge underwater. I don't think anywhere else in the ocean there was that much surge. It was just because we were on top of that rock. Like, yeah. I think it was legitimately that rock. That's probably true. Oh, my God. That was a crazy It dive. is definitely a high spot in, as, the, as the swells come in. It's definitely a high spot that they, that they hit before they get to the sand and start breaking. On top of that, I don't know if you remember, but San Mateo Rocks, San Clemente Pier, that whole area, is a white shark hot spot. <laughs> There's, <laughs> almost every year that. they're spotted there. Almost every year. Well, there Somebody was... from the pier will take a picture of a white shark in the water. <sighs> So that was the place that, what was it, like maybe four years ago now? There was the, it wasn't even a surfer. It was just somebody swimming in the in the ocean by uh, San Clemente Beach was bit in the leg by a white shark. I don't well, remember. they don't know what type of shark it was. Yeah. I don't... And they died. Oh, they, I... didn't, they didn't make it. It was our one shark fatality for the year. I, I don't remember that incident. You said four or five years ago? I'm so bad with dates. You might, <laughs> it, it was within the time that I was surfing and diving, so it was at least after Fiji. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't remember that, but, you know, that's a shame. That area is known. I mean, the surfers down there refer to the white shark as the man in the gray suit. Yeah. Because, you know, you say shark, and it causes reactions of people that maybe you don't want to see. So you just say, hey, I saw the man in the gray suit earlier today. You know, when you're in the lineup, they're around. Well, so you know, uh, you know the Cal State Long Beach Shark Lab, right? Mm-hmm. So the guy who runs it, Chris Lowe, um, he's been doing research on the juveniles coming up from Mexico for about I don't know, eight years now, maybe more, maybe a decade. And it, it's funny now he just he just released a paper of the research that he's been doing. He's been tracking him because a lot of the Baja juvenile white sharks will come up into Santa Monica Bay, up this way, near Los Angeles, kind of the north part. Um, and depending on water temperatures, uh, sometimes we'll get a lot. If we have an El, El Nino year, they're all up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're they're around, and they all come up through that area to go up north where they turn into the big guys <laughs> and start feeding on seals. But it, I mean, they're there, dude, and they're a trippy fish. Yeah. I've not seen one in the water yet. Have you? I've, I've known a bunch of people who have. Yeah. Like, my circle of people who've seen a white shark in the wild in California has drastically increased, but I have not yet. Yeah. I've seen them on the surface eating on whale carcasses and stuff like that in when the, in the channel. Whale carcass? Oh, gosh. This is. This wasn't even the, the, the Parker. The Fortuna boat. This was my previous boat before oh, that. Oh, really? So we're talking maybe 15, 20 years ago now. Oh, okay. And we were just going to the island early morning and, you know, come across a whale carcass just blown up, floating out there. Yeah, yeah. And 
Makos and Wikes just munching down on side by side. Yeah, they well the they, the Makos would get out of the way when the white sharks would kind of take a bite. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that happens. But uh, big sharks, big animals. Um, and then I learned years later because we used to do a lot of night crossings. So get off work on Friday, load up the boat, and go across the island in the dark. And uh, then I learned later on that the harbor patrol, when these um, freighters hit a, hit a whale, sometimes they end up sticking to the boat and coming into the harbor. And so all the harbor patrol does is tie a rope onto it and drag it out to the harbor, uh, out into the channel, and release it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I guess that's what you do with it, with a dead whale. What else are you going to do with it? You could blow it up like the people in Oregon did. Yeah, that <laughs> but, did not go well. But I learned about that on a fishing website uh, forum, and I saw all the sharks on there, and I just thought, you know, night crossing doesn't sound as much fun. You know, because seeing a whale floating at night it's, can be really hard to do, especially because there's usually fog out there and stuff like that, so... We, we, I, I knew a guy who had, gosh, what was it? I forget the name of the boat, but it was just a little 25 foot, little 20 foot or something, a small little boat. And I don't know if it was a design flaw or whatever it was, but the water used to spray right up on the windows mm. and we did a night crossing to Catalina and he put me at the helm while he took a quick nap. I might as well have my eyes closed, man. There I saw nothing. The electronics were shining on the windshield. I couldn't see through the windshield. There was water spraying on the windshield. Like, it was a disaster. There was nothing I could see. If there was a whale in front of me, I would have done, like, a Dukes of Hatter jump right over the whale in the boat. Like, there was no way I was going to dodge anything. I was just watching the radar and hoping there wasn't a freighter that didn't show up on radar. It was bonkers. It's hard. Yeah. You can't see anything at night. It, it, it's, it's a challenge, and there's a pucker factor involved for sure. Because oftentimes you get out there, and... There's no other boats. There may be freighters offshore, but there's no other, no other recreational boats. They're already in Avalon and stuff like that, or, or you know, they're going to wait till the next day to go over. And so you get out there, and it gets pretty lonely. I know it's not that far, but it can seem far when you're out there by yourself, especially when the fog rolls in. And, you know, you I, I can't tell you how many times I read Marine Forecast, and it said, you know, densey, dense, what was it? You say patchy dense fog. That's what the <laughs> patchy dense, dense fog. And you get two miles offshore, and it's just fog all the way to the island until you get about three miles offshore, and then it opens up. It's like that's not patchy fog. <laughs> that's just dense fog. And uh, yeah, that that's pretty nerve wracking. You know, you're re- relying on your radar if you have it. Hopefully, yeah. You know, to make sure you're staying out of the paths of the of the freighters. I had an episode one time where I got tangled up with one and got closer to it. I was watching it on the radar and got closer to it than I was anticipating. And Slash all, comfortable with. Right. <laughs> well, when you hear them honk at you, you're too close. Yeah, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. And then you have lights about six stories off the ground. It's very scary. I thought I was passing behind it. And every time I would look at my radar and take my eyes off my compass, I would change course a little bit. Oh. <gasps> So I ended up pointing us towards the bow instead of the stern, and yeah, bad, bad ideas. All that stuff is compounded when you ha- add all the stress of doing night crossings, and you're absolutely right. Your electronics are bouncing. Fatigued. The light is bouncing off the window, and it's hard to see anyway. And yeah. you're trying to stay awake, and you've had a long day, and like 
maybe you do a couple donuts in the middle of the channel <laughs> and you're like, oh, which way is which? Yeah. It can be bad, dude. Well, it, it's crazy that more people don't get hurt. I mean, there are definitely some stories. Like, there's a great story about the Catalina Express who had to stop and help these people who had gotten mid-channel uh, and because they were so intoxicated, something had happened to their boat, and they couldn't call for help, and mm. they broke the radio or got mad. And apparently they got them on the Catalina Express, and they were so irate and violent towards the crew that they had to put them back on their boat, and they called the lifeguard, <laughs> the Coast Guard, and said, come get them. We're done. <laughs> wow. So there's wacky stuff that happens out there every once in a while, you know? Yeah. And if you're out on any, like, Memorial Day weekend or something, there's always a call out, like, I'm drifting towards the rocks. I'm drifting towards the rocks. Do you have an anchor? Yes. Deploy your anchor. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. Think about it a little bit. I can't tell you how many times in the afternoon I've been pulling into one of the harbors because I've launched from a mall. Boat, boat, boat ramp stories? No, no. This is, this, this <laughs> is just pulling into the harbor, and you have some guy that comes out on a 13-foot whaler and asks you, which way is Catalina? Oh. And you're like thinking – Man, it's pretty rough out there right now. Are you sure you want to want to do that? Do you have a radio? Radio? Do you have a life jacket? So the worst one that I ever heard like that was I think it was uh, one of the deckhands on the Pacific Star. They were out at uh, Santa Barbara Island, and a jet ski comes out of nowhere, and he goes. Hey, uh, do you guys know? Is this Catalina? Where's Avalon? Oh no! Yeah, where's Avalon? Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow! And they're like, "Uh, you are at the wrong island, sir. <laughs> like, this is not Catalina." Oh my gosh! He is so lucky he found an island, right? And a boat, right? Oh my goodness! Missed it's, it by a lot. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really bad. I can't remember if it actually. I could be wrong. It might have been San Clemente Island that they were at. Which is even worse because yeah. that's farther. Yeah, sixty miles offshore. Oh, yeah, it's a I, long ways. What's the what's the round trip radio for radius for a jet ski? Right, I you know I have no idea. I wouldn't think it'd be that far, you know. Well, I have a buddy who does uh, jet ski tours from Long Beach to Catalina, and so it can be done. He's got some crazy stories. Do they fill up at the island? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I have no idea what the range is. I don't know what the fuel consumption is on those no, jet no, skis. No, no, we, we get it, Greg. You're better than jet skis. No, 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 no. no. It's fine. I, dude, it's okay. They are so fun. I would love to have a jet ski. I'm not on that train. No? No, my buddy's like, listen, don't get a boat. We'll get jet skis, and we can go out and dive off jet skis. And I'm like, this yeah. is not Florida. Like, stop it with the diving off jet skis. I want a boat. Man, I've seen guys with tanks strapped on the back of their jet skis and a fishing rig, and they just make it like their little vessel of accomplishment. They're going to go out there and do something great on the weekend. I think it's really cool. It rem it's way too Mad Max for me. Yeah. Or, like, what was that movie, Waterworld? Mm. Like, <laughs> like, it always looks like a Jimmy rig. Like... <laughs> It feels like if anything ever went wrong, people would be like, that's what he gets. Like, yeah. he, do, he had that comment, <laughs> oh, on a jet ski, huh? Okay, well, you know what that. He deserved it then. Yeah, of course. Like, Yeah, my biggest problem with it is that there's a lot of people, tourists and stuff, that'll rent them, and they have no idea what the rules of the road are. Well, the rules of the road are go fast and have yeah. fun, Greg. Come on. Yeah. Those are the rules. Dart back and forth in front of boats, because that's course. fun. Because they have the really cool wakes that we like to jump off <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, that's my only problem with it. But there's so much fun. I've I've rented one a couple times. Had a lot of fun. Never dove off one though. 
the big i can i can see it on the newer ones the newer ones are really big mm-hmm. like they're just like a three-person jet ski is a big it's a big platform yeah i mean it's it's no boat but it's it, i can see how you could definitely pull it off you'd have to strap everything down though yeah if i you hit one wave wrong and you lose a tank like that would be a bad day yeah i would imagine there would be it'd be like trying to carry all your scuba gear on a motorcycle or something you know it's funny you say that i saw a dude who had a vespa who had some who had drilled a hole in the back of the fender and attached a bike trailer to the vespa and he rolled up at vets park he had two tanks a bucket with all his scuba gear and i was like huh that's clever good for you sir yeah i was like I was like, one question though, you're going to go diving, right? All of your stuff is out in the open. Like, did you think this through? Is there a lock on that thing? Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> That's awesome though. Oh, it was the most, it was the most, I live at the beach thing I've ever seen. Right. Like, now everybody has a go, like a little golf cart to drive down to the beach. Oh. That's the thing now. Like everybody has a golf cart. They have corny little license plates on them. Like beach life and you just want to throw rocks at these people <laughs> because it's just so uh but that was right up there with it i was like that's clever it's fun yeah interesting uh what's that what's that ride like I, yeah man oh i, I love like, the ingenuity though i love that the creativity somebody, yeah somebody thought long and hard how can i get i don't think he two thought tanks. long and hard <laughs> i think he had a thought I think there was a lot of impulsivity in that expression of creativity. He was like, I bet I can attach a bike trailer to this. What can I put in the bike trailer? Like, my question is, what's the top speed before that trailer just goes, yeah, Yeah, comes off, passes you on the road. Oh, man, that's that's something. But, dude, people do wacky stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you brought it up earlier. You know, um, you're surprised that more people aren't injured. Yeah. I mean, especially in the summertime when you have, like, people who are only out there in the summertime. I, I know that sounds like tourist sort of stuff. and But it's not even tourists, though. It's There's uh, there's also seasonal, seasonal water people. Right. And, and, and Boats or divers or whatever. Fill in the blank. Surfers. You know, we all know them. Yeah. Fair enough. You see a lot more people in the lineup in the summertime than you do in the winter. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but, I mean... I'm surprised that more of more people don't get hurt in all the shenanigans they pull. I, I just think most people, I think people just know better than to talk about it. Like, I, do you remember um, the guy who was in my class? And uh, I wouldn't say he was the most physically fit gentleman that I had ever met. Um, and he was one of those guys who talked like he had all these big plans for scuba and it came to the class that he had forced his uh, fiance into you know that scenario and she dominated she was an amazing like she was just good and he struggled every bit you know and after the open water portion of the class two days later he calls the shop and from the er I definitely don't remember this story. Yeah, so he calls the shop from the ER saying he thinks he's bent. His symptoms are a headache, a sore back, 
Okay. And some pain in his knees. <laughs> you know, classic bent symptoms. <laughs> oh, goodness. So the ER doctor calls and is asking questions. And God bless Josh. Josh is, is field dumb. He's like, hey, you know, we did do a class in Laguna and there's a bunch of steps. Like, you know, it's heavy gear and, you know, maybe it was, you know, just a little sore on the back. And a couple days later, you know, you could have a headache and, you know, these things happen. And the ER doctor was like, yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> He's like, I'll go talk to him and see what he wants to do. Guy ended up going and getting a full transfer to a hyperbaric chamber to be safe. He did he did a 45 a 45 minute tour in the chamber, which if you know anything about chambers, yeah. yeah. That's nothing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's nothing. His headache went away miraculously. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Um and uh, then he proceeded to tell everyone, "Oh my gosh, I got bent on my first dive." To which I was horrified because one, he wasn't bent, and two, you shouldn't tell people that. Like that's you're telling people I'm not good at diet. You know, like I, I potentially, it's not for sure. Some people get bent, and it's not their fault necessarily. But it's basically saying, I made a mistake. I'm dangerous. Yeah. And it's like, why? Yeah, I think that they, they, I think because they're so uneducated in it that they, they think that sounds brave or cool or whatever. But to people with experience, you look at it and just shake your head and say, you're careless. You're dangerous. You're not only dangerous to yourself, but to your dive buddy. If you react this way, you know, and the fact that you made such a show out of it, that's concerning. Yeah, well, it's terrifying because, you know, I never wanted to dive with him after that. You know, he was a nice guy and everything, but I was just like, oh, man, like, if he's so off on this, what else is he off on? Yeah. What's the most crazy thing you've ever seen somebody do diving, like reckless diving that you witnessed yourself? That I witnessed myself. I mean, there's the quintessential people who panic underwater and shoot to the surface, mm -hmm. which is always, you know, panic is the number one problem with the water mm -hmm. like i i the number one thing i say to people and i'm probably repeating myself at this point way too much but there is a certain level of discomfort that we're all capable of dealing with and once you get over that level there's such a loss of control you know i've come close to it i've never crossed it underwater thank mm. goodness i never want to um, I have experienced panic, but I've never reacted that way. Like I've right, right. had the fear hit me and yeah. just calm myself down where in my head, everything screamed, go up now, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a real thing and you're absolutely right. Your description of it is, is right. And you see that in classes when you're teaching just basic open water, every diver was going to have something in there if they keep learning in their diving experience that's going to make them uncomfortable. And some people, it's just, you know, getting their eyelashes wet, right? And my, eye, my eyelashes are very pretty. <laughs> they are. They are. But And some people, it's, you know, getting getting water up their nose. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, but, and it can be simple as that. And some people, it can be the overexertion about walking down the stairs and 
walking through the sand and getting overheated in a wetsuit and then dealing with the surf and it can be a lot for new divers. Well, hundred percent. There's so much new in the yeah. beginning of a dive course. Like that's the number one thing I tell people to prepare for is like, listen, you, this, it's going to be amazing at some point. It's not going to be amazing right now. It's going to be uncomfortable Yeah. and just prepare for the worst mentally. Like how could this possibly be the worst possible thing? And if it's less than that, great. Yeah. You know, because it's just something in the beginning you have to do and get used to. Like, I remember, like, a time when I would go out and I would just be like, oh, do I really want to do this? It's such a hassle. Now I just walk out, throw my stuff on. Like, I put it on my, you know, clothes for work. Yeah. It's not even hard. Right. You know, and I just jump in and it's, I do my checks super quick. I have my gear dialed. I know exactly what it is. But, like, when you're new, it's, like, everything is a chore. Like, just, like, what is this? Oh, I'm trying to remember what this is. Where does this go? Like, this is not my gear. I'm This is rental stuff. Like, getting your own gear and getting a routine with your gear and getting your checks down and having everything set and comfortable so you know when it's working properly and when it's, you know, the way it's supposed to be is such a, like, relief yeah. in the experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely, there's a big there's a big weight lifted off your off your off your back. Um, you know, I've experienced that when you go like uh, when you travel dive, and I usually take my regulators, but then you get some BC that looks like it's been questionable, right? And you're like down the sun for ten years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like, is this salt, or is this some sort of design? <laughs> Totally. Like what's going on here? Totally, I don't remember the the, the sun bleach era in BCs. <laughs> That's but right. This is <laughs> it's like the denim bleached BC. Like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Ah, we're in the '80s, but underwater. The craziest I ever did though was I got air fills. I this is probably the craziest air fills down in Ensenada. Not Ensenada. Yeah, it is Ensenada. I'm sorry. There's a little <laughs> cove down there, and make sure uh, you defame the right city. Oh man, yeah. There was a, there there was an expat who had a little dive shop and it was like a ten by ten cinder block shack right there in the cove. Solid construction. A little compressor hose out the back door, right onto the dirt road with like a dirty sock over the intake. That's and, my best. That's the best filter you can buy right there. Right there. You know it's not in there. COVID's not in there. There's no COVID in that that area. Totally. Oh my god. Totally. What was his name? Like Dave or Dale? Oh my gosh, he was a oh, character. It's always a Dave or a Dale. However, the diving down there's epic. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, my son and I, we we hired him out for the day. He took us out on like a little panga, and uh, took us to the spots. We rolled over, and then he just rode and followed our bubbles. So as soon as we came up, he's right there. Jump back in the panga. He turns the motor on, takes us to the next dive site, and. Down there, there's not a lot of divers, so it is like virgin territory. That's amazing, nice. amazing, and the water clarity because they they don't have the runoff from the big city like we do. Well, it's grown a lot down there ever since they started sending cruise ships. True, true. So it might be a little bit different. I it, don't know. And they were moving in those tuna pins when oh, we were down. There. You remember those? Uh, I didn't know. They're giant floating pins that they raise tuna in yeah, to harvest. They're farming tuna. Yeah, right? exactly. And uh, yeah, oh. so that that the waste from those fish being close to shore certainly could affect it. But when we were down there, it was amazing, just amazing. Um, 
It was the airfields that was a little sketchy. Though. Oh my gosh. You know what? Come to think of it, the Fortuna has one of my sketchiest things that I ever saw. Uh oh. Do you... No, no, no. Well, <laughs> not the boat or the captain, although you are sketchy. Um, do you do you remember this dive? We took this guy out. He was apparently ex LAPD. And the whole time we're going out there, we start you start doing the dive briefing, and you're like. Yeah, the Yukon, it's tilted on its side. It's not a super deep wreck, but it's a deep wreck. It's a little disorientating. There's something about the wreck that does this. And the guy popped off and he's like, I've been in gunfights. This is going to be no problem. And I'm like, hmm. Usually people don't. Who like who might you be trying to convince? <laughs> Us or yourself? Yeah. And this guy... I forgot what happened. It was a warm day, maybe, and he put his wetsuit on early, and he started getting warm, and I wasn't even paired up with him. I think he was going to go out with... He couldn't even get down, right? Yeah, yeah, he got in the water, and he froze up to the point where he wasn't responding. Yeah, I do remember that. And he just... He was out of it. I've never seen somebody not respond like that. Yeah. That was a little freaky, because I was like, is he having a serious medical issue? Yeah, he just he just went to shutdown, man. It went... I don't think he said anything for the rest of the day. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I think he sat on the boat. He didn't do any diving. He just he yeah. was done. Like, I think it was like a real gut check yeah. you know, in a negative way, which is a bummer. Like, you never want somebody to have that. No, no. You want people to have a good time, and that's why you give a good briefing explaining, like, be ready for this. Yeah. You know, those wrecks down there, you've dove them a bunch of times yeah. with us. And you know that you can have just epic days where everything lines up. It's perfect. And there are days down there where it's just a hellstorm, you know, and it can be calm on the surface. Yeah. And yet when you get down in the wreck, you know, it's ripping. I've had divers come up and literally, you know, they were like flags on a flagpole whipping in the in the current. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's just and then you can have surface currents as well, which can make it that's, troubling. That's the killer one down there is like you can start your dive off panting. If you don't have a good setup for your surface up there, which yep. is not good. Yeah. It's like you don't want to start out of breath. Right. And that's where people get freaked out a lot of times. Sure. You know, I mean, there's a lot coming at you. You know, you're excited. I think there's also something. Uh, there's probably no science to back this up, but. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> this is science. This, this is, is 2021. We don't need science. <laughs> and I'm sticking to it. Science is cute. <laughs> but there is something about just dropping right straight to a depth right as yes, opposed to a beach dive where you're gradually getting deeper and i think i've seen more people get narked in that situation i've seen people get more panicky in that situation um and i and i just don't know if it's because the, the nitrogen hits them so hard when they're going down so quick i, I there's no well, science now, now just... we're now we're definitely not in science land, but <laughs> I, I no but i think i think the drastic change in pressure people feel it even if it's not conscious it's yeah. subconscious right you're clearing your air you're clearing your ears you get disorientated you you're you're changing your depth you ha you start having to adjust your buoyancy faster than you normally have to it's not as gradual right and so like i think people can get overwhelmed like i think there's that's pretty much scientific. It's <laughs> pretty right. much scientific. I think I nailed it. Publish that then. Yeah. <laughs> We're done. I think we just had our dissertation. Where's my doctor? No, but like, yeah. And I think, I think there is something to that. And I think the opposite is true is like, 
if you have to do a, uh, a free ascent on that wreck. It's also a really sketchy place to do a free ascent. Yeah, for sure. Because there is boat traffic. Yeah. And you also have, like, a, a lot of time you have a wicked top current on that thing. Yeah. And I, so. I was with some guys, and not only did we have to do a free ascent because we were s- stupid, but we had to do a little deco because mm. we were stupid. Unplanned deco. So yeah, you're you're wondering ideal. if you when you finally surface, are you going to be in the breakers on Pacific Beach? You don't know <laughs> where you're going to be. This dive trip turned into a surf trip. <laughs> totally, but uh, yeah, you're right. The surface current can be really ripping down there. Um, it's it's a special place though. I I've had so much fun down there. Do you remember the guy who opened his light after you specifically told him not to open? <laughs> He's like, I flooded my light. <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, all right, man, just don't open it on the boat. Three seconds later. Acid on the deck. Oh, oh yeah. Battery acid <laughs> on your beautiful white coat. Like, oh, man. That sucks. <laughs> oh. It's funny. It's funny what people I, – I think people in diving, uh, you have that almost every class where you tell somebody don't do this, and then they have to just make the mistake on their own, you know? Um some great example like is a great example is just you know putting your mask on your forehead right don't put your mask on your forehead how many times do you say that you start in the pool and then they get out there somebody loses a mask before everybody else puts it around their neck so yeah that is probably the scariest thing so the scariest thing is if you're with someone underwater and they do one of the one one thing that's not good is take the mask off because you're like oh things are not going to get better I don't know what you were thinking, but no, not going to get better. Number two is when they throw the regulator out. I'm like, no, that's the scariest is when people ditch the one thing that's keeping them alive in an effort to avoid some sort of fear. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've done the surface swim with holding a regulator in somebody's mouth that they're just rejecting on all terms. And you're like, well. You may not be breathing, but a regulator is going to be pushing up against your teeth. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is It is the closest thing to assault that I have ever committed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And believe it or not, when it's done, people thank me. Yeah. You know, because I'm force-feeding them air when they need air. But gosh, it is. You're like, I hope this is working. <laughs> right. You're like, I am, I'm, I'm doing this for you, buddy. Yeah. I, that's that's the worst thing. I've I've had people do that. I I don't think, I don't think I've had anything worse than that necessarily. I asked you earlier the stupidest thing or the most reckless thing that you've ever seen somebody do. Uh, years ago, we had a trip where we were planning. It was my, my virgin trip to the uh, Yukon. Oh, okay. Okay, and uh, we scheduled it and it got canceled. Scheduled it and got canceled. It was engine problems with the dive boat. It was weather. It was this and that. I don't remember, three, four weeks went by of this every weekend. We're ready. Everybody gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning to the, the boat trip's been canceled. Oh, Jesus. So uh, we get together. Talk about building the anticipation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we get together, and we all decide, well, the trip's been canceled. You know, we're going, we planned on driving down there anyway. Why don't we go down to La Jolla Shores and dive down there? Have you ever dove down there? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah. And it seems like it's a, a mecca for all kinds of cool wildlife. For sure. Turtles and seven-gill sharks and six-gill sharks. Yeah. Yeah. This trip, though, 
there was, I don't remember exactly how many, probably 10, 12 of us. And we sort of split into two groups. And I'll take responsibility for part of it. I wasn't keeping track of everybody in my group. And the other group wasn't keeping track of everybody in their group. Okay, Patty, this is where you turn your <laughs> microphone or your hey, headphones it, off. It happens, you know, it happens. These A lot of these people I had never met before. Right, right. And so uh, we get done with the dive, you know, and it's a great dive. And we get back to the boat and we find out we're counting heads and one's missing. Oh, and, uh, oh we, God. Yeah. We, we go down to the lifeguard and we hear the story from the lifeguard about how this guy got left behind from one of the groups. He got stressed in the surf and basically got pulled out of the water by a swimmer or sunbather. And they took his blood pressure and it was next to nothing. So he got an ambulance, right? We find out later this guy wanted to go diving on the Yukon that day and he had pneumonia and he knew it. <gasps> Why? I have no idea. I, I I'm thinking he was. You were talking about the anticipation and the buildup. It's got to be something like that, right? Oh, like so much time has been sunk into this trip. I'm not gonna cancel. Even it. though I have this respiratory <laughs> issue. <gasps> yeah. Oh no. I'm so glad we didn't dive the Yukon that day because he would. We'd have probably done a body recovery. Oh, he had probably drowned on that. God. That trip. Yeah. Actually, now that you mention it. One of the almost most terrifying experience I had, very similar. Uh, you know, when I was a DM, mm -hmm. you know, cheap, easy money is to take somebody on a dis uh, on a on a dive tour, right? This yeah. guy uh, wanted to go diving in Catalina, and so I was going to get to hop on a boat and dive with this these guys' dive buddy and show him stuff in Catalina, make sure he stayed safe. He hadn't dove, so it was we were doing a refresher. So he went through skills and all this other stuff, and, you know, he seemed nice enough and calm enough and so forth. And we go out to um, Isthmus Rock and Cat the Cat uh, Harbor of Avalon, or two har uh, center of two harbors. Yeah. It's a 60-foot pinnacle that spits up. The top of it's at 20 feet. It's an 80 feet of water, or, or sorry, a 40-foot pinnacle and 80 feet of, or 60 feet of water. The top of it is super calm. Depending on the year, it's covered in all these beautiful algaes. You have red algaes, you have green algaes, you kind of have yellow algaes, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, this is before all the nasty uh, sarcasm stuff came in. So there was kelp on it. It's amazing spot, right? Juvenile Garibaldi with beautiful blue spots, mm -hmm. blue banded gobies, like all the lovely things that you can see in Catalina. We saw a leopard shark, all this stuff. We go on the dive. Midway through the dive, he gives me the kind of like, I'm not so, I'm kind of okay, not so okay, right? The mm -hmm. kind of wavy hand, like, oh, I'm not great. I'm like, okay, do you want to go back? And he's like, oh, okay. So we head back to the boat. We're diving right under the boat. I'm like, do you want to go up? And he's like, it's okay. All right, well, do a little bit more diving. We get down to like, Halfway through the tank, he's like, I want to go up. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is early. This is the most, like, a beautiful Catalina dive. I don't know why you want to go up, but, you know, you're the customer. We're going to make you happy. We go up. We're within, like, 20 feet of the boat. The guy goes, yeah, like, it was it was good. I'm like, wasn't that great? It was a great dive. He's like, ah, it was okay. He's like, I was feeling a little dizzy. I just started new heart medication. And, uh... 
I, uh, I, I just not feeling right. And I'm like, I wanted to lose my mind. Yeah. No <laughs> and I just said, okay, let's get back to the boat. Let's go back. Let's go. Yeah. Here, I'm going to help tow you back to the boat just in case. And we got back to the boat and the guy's like, yeah, I'm not feeling so well. I'm like, yeah, why don't you stay on the boat? Like, you know, since the new heart medication and everything. I'm like, like I wanted to yell at him. Yeah. Because I'm like, this is what you don't do. Like, this is in the book. Like, don't dive when you have a new medication and you don't know how it's going to react to it. Heart problems. Diving is a cardiovascular stressor. <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's crazy. And I'm like, I was like, was this worth the 50 bucks that I got in the free boat trip? No, no it was not. No, definitely not. Oh, such a near miss. That uh, That is such an obvious thing, too. You, you, you're almost, you're almost, it almost takes your breath away that somebody would be so Blase. ignorant or, or, or cavalier. I don't know what the denial, denial. it's just, yeah. just straight denial. Like, uh, it'll be all right. Like I want that optimism. Yeah. Can right. I have some of that optimism? Maybe it's better that I don't have it. I don't know. But just like everything's going to work out. Yeah. Like, I just want to go dive. Like, never mind my health problems. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think, uh. You know, when when we're doing with dealing with new students, I think that's one of my concerns. I know they check off the questionnaire and all that sort of stuff, but uh, but people have lied. Yeah, yeah, I've had people lie. I've had people, you know, um, in even something that's not asked, like bum knees and stuff like that, and they're trying to do beach dives. I mean, one of the last classes I taught, uh, we were down at Redondo, and great guy, good diver. But just the sand kicked his butt. You know what I mean? Well, Redondo's known for that. Too. Right. It's not friendly to... It's tough. Yeah, for or sure. it can be, depending on the day. But This was a tough day, you know, yeah. and it's just loose and you can't get traction. It was one of those days. It is a it is a coarse grain sand that when you put your foot on it, it sinks deep. Yeah. So it feels like, one, you are not making any progress, and two, like you're always off balance. Yeah. And if you are not strong enough to mitigate that or anticipate it, like with experience, there's a reason they call it the Veterans Park Crawl. Yeah. You yeah, know? Exactly. People crawl out all the time. I would rather crawl than fall over myself at that beach. But uh, this guy was diving. And like I said, he was a great diver. Bum knee. And I didn't know it until after the first dive. And... You know, his knee's swelling up, and he's sore, and he's, you know, thinking, oh, he started talking about the bends, and I'm like, well, no, come on. It doesn't happen to one knee, but, uh, yeah, right? But uh, let's uh, Uh, Left side bends. Left side bends are very common. Yeah, okay, that's a thing. You know, let's uh, let's evaluate this. It was pretty pretty rough on you in the sand there, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And the weirdest thing was typical Redondo Beach. There were more people filming him in his little distress on the sand than willing to help him. Isn't that bonkers? It was crazy how many camera phones I saw pointed in his direction. And I finally hollered to his dive buddy, you know, help him out. And then a, a, a young man on the beach also jumped up and helped him out. But yeah. there was probably uh, 10 young ladies with their phones just filming him. I thought, this is a really strange world. Greg, 
you might be a little bit old for this, but you got to do things for the gram. <laughs> yeah, I am too old for that. You got to do sure. things for the gram sometimes, Greg. Yeah, yeah, and the snap and all that. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I just, I was just dumbfounded though that people would watch somebody having a difficult time, and not be willing. Their first instinct was to pull out their phone, not to lend a hand. It's just weird to me. But Greg, uh, two words for you: world star. Okay. World star. I love world star. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is this diver. So uh, thank goodness he had signed up for a beach boat. And so we were able to make up everything at the island the next day. And he was right as rain. I like and he, that. He kind of learned a lesson yeah. and then got to finish the class. And he was old enough. And I, I would imagine financially secure enough that he can be a boat diver. That's okay. Not Nothing. everybody has to do beach dives. Or a tropical diver. Yeah. Even easier. Sure. Sure. I mean... Although I have a bone to pick. We recently um, dove in the DR. and yeah. uh, How amazing I, was that? Uh, I had better. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it wasn't like... Okay. So we didn't dive local in the DR. We dove one of the islands, which is Isla Catalina, which is ironic. Yeah. Because there's a Catalina <laughs> island in California, and I found a Catalina island in the Dominican Republic. But... Um, it was, it was actually, it was better than I expected because uh, I had heard from other people that the DR was pretty beat up. Mm. Uh, they hadn't taken care of the reefs. And there was definitely that, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, we did two dives. The first of which was this really cool spot, which was like a wall, wall dive. Um, it was nice. It had good corals. Like, I think their sponges there are mm. amazing. Like, um... I'm so bad with Caribbean stuff. The long, elongated kind of funnel um, purple sponges yeah. that you see, like there was a ton of those everywhere. Very beautiful, great structure as far as that goes. Not a lot of fish, given the fact that it was coral reef, at least on the wall. Uh, and then we did another spot called the aquarium. Um, that one had a, more fish, but still not as much as I've seen in places like Cozumel or uh, Bonaire. Mm. Um Really, really impressive barrel corals, like or um, barrel sponges. Like I'm talking as big as a person. Wow! Like just huge. Like they must be a hundred years old. Yeah. Type stuff. So there was really cool stuff like that, but then like in certain spots we got to, you could see like corals kicked over, sponges kicked over, and like you know, our our dive guide was great. Um, Ultramarine uh, divers down there. The guy Udo was amazing. Um, you know, was telling us basically like, even the marine protected areas are. You, if you pay off somebody, you can go fish there. Mm. Like people are doing dynamite fishing, like what people are doing cyanide fishing. Like, and there's just nobody patrolling, mm. and they're destroying this natural resource, which is this great thing. And it, it's just, it's brutal. Yeah, and it's beautiful because I know. I know the things that I saw that were truly amazing there, they're old. Mm -hmm. They're not new. The new stuff is kicked over, uh, you know, in the places on the fringes of the reef. The old stuff is the stuff that people are looking at, and they kick over the other stuff. So it's a bummer because it's like, here's this place that could be an amazing place, and it's just a matter of the government not paying attention to it or mm. not prioritizing it. And there's other stuff which... I don't know how true it is, but, you know, while we were down there talking, it seems like it's a, I don't want to 
say bad things about the Dominican Republic because everybody there was really nice, but it seems like there's a corruption issue with it being a drug corridor mm. um, that draws away attention from other things. Yeah. So, but it, it was it was good. So I that would, may be where the government's putting their resources and is in fighting that instead of protecting the ocean. I think. Is that what you're thinking? I, I think that they're I think the opposite. I think the government is prioritizing maintaining that as an economic mm. option. I'm also taking my information secondhand from the people that I talked to down there. So I mean like I'm not saying I'm an authority on it. Yeah. Uh, they do have national protected areas, but from what I heard, they're not super effective. Uh, I hope I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, um, but I think there's just other economic priorities. Uh, they're, they're just got a new government. Apparently they're doing all kinds of construction and um, for uh, the more impoverished. So that's a good thing. Sure. Like as people get more stable in countries, they tend to look towards the environment as something that they want to protect for their kids in the future. So hopefully that that will be a, a thing that will go forward. But, um, you know, if those things are not looked after enough they disappear you know yeah um there's a lot of examples of that in the west and other places so hopefully hopefully it'll get taken care of but i mean i know there's a lot of coral restoration projects down there project aware through patty has something i've known people who've gone down and worked on the coral things for d- dissertations for um you know marine biology degrees and stuff like that so there's stuff down there, but it is a bummer to just swim over a reef and see a bunch of stuff kicked over. Yeah. I mean, not like one or two, but like I could count like 20, 30 things. Yeah. That's, that is a bummer. You know, um, I think, I think you're right. I mean, they, it sounds like they need to regulate who's diving and where. Um, a lot of places that I've been in the past, you know, the, the initial dive for a group of divers is always to an area where there's, not a lot to harm, uh, or maybe it's already been harmed. Checkout dive. Yeah, it's a checkout dive, exactly. And then they did it that with us in Fiji, man. Yeah, exactly. And then if they sh- you you, you we show were, them that we you're not showing, a loser. Well, we were showing them instructor cards, and they're like, "Yeah, we got to do a checkout yeah. dive." And we're like, "We're instructors," and they're like, mm. "We'll see." <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. I didn't make you an instructor. Prove yourself. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I respect that. But in places like Hawaii, you know, where the dive master sees, okay, this is somebody who knows what the heck they're doing. They're not some wingnut, you know. They'll they'll be like, okay, hey, come over here. Let me show you something cool that I'm not showing everybody because they're going to wreck it, you yeah. know. And I think that uh, that's a big part of it. I uh, experienced that down in um, – oh, where the heck was it? It was um, – where the heck was it? It was down in the Caribbean. Um, Bonaire, Cozumel. No, gosh darn it. Roatan. Aruba. I think it was Roatan. We didn't even plan on diving that day. Was it off a cruise? No. Yeah, we were off a, we were on a cruise okay. and we, we we were just going to have a beach day, a relaxed day. And you've been there. Have you been I, there? I have not been to okay. Roatan. This beach that we ended up on, uh and we hired a taxi for the day. Like he was just our private driver. Yeah. And he takes us to this beautiful beach. And it's just little dive shop after little dive shop after little <laughs> dive shop. And, you know, I sat on the beach for about 30 minutes, and then I'm like, hey, I'm going to go check out the dive shop. 
30 minutes later, I come back. I've got fins, and we're like, we're going diving. Might as well dropped an alcoholic <laughs> off at the bar. Exactly. Yeah, that's perfect. Exactly, and it was great. We we, we rented a boat. We had a, Our captain was seven years old, and his first mate was five. I'm not kidding. Seven? Uh, yes, yes, seven. And our we had a... Uh, <laughs> Uh, she was you didn't a, ask questions. No, no, oh. we, we had a Danish dive <laughs> master. Yeah, a, a Danish dive master who was terrific. She was wonderful. And uh, just, it was like a beach dive without the beach swim. Yeah. Okay. So uh, our captain did try to kill us. He drove us very hard into the dock on our way back. Uh, I think he thought he was in reverse and he revved it, but. Hey, it happens when you're kept at seven years old. Oh my God. Yeah. But anyway, my point is this that place, they take you to the outskirts. And then if they see you're not kicking over stuff, then you get the, the trails into the reef and get to see the really cool stuff. And I think that, you know, that's kind of the responsibility, maybe not the government's responsibility, but the dive masters and the operators' responsibility to oversee that you know but a lot of places in you... hawaii they've they've set in moorings right so that yeah. these diving snorkel boats aren't all dropping anchor all over the place that's that's a that's not a government thing that's just the industry deciding hey we need to protect this so we can all utilize this that that's interesting how do you change the culture of an industry that's a good question oh, boy that's bigger than this podcast isn't it Maybe. <laughs> don't know. You don't know where my aspirations well, I, I, lie. I need more beer, I guess. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to find out how to change the culture of an well, industry. Well, I mean, like, I think some places have got it, right? Like, I yeah. think uh, you can have leaders in the industry show up and do certain things in certain places that matter and make sense, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, not, not, I don't know. Do you know Eli Martinez? No. Eli Martinez is a is a really cool guy. Um, he paired with these people down in um, Baja, California, called Pelagic Life, I think, or he met them, or I don't know exactly the connection, but they ended up showing him a bunch of these fishermen down there who were doing like you know shark fishing and all this kind of stuff. And Pelagic Life went down there; they were from Mexico. Uh, Eli is from Texas, I think, but he does a lot of stuff in the Bahamas at like Tiger Beach. If you've ever seen a dude with a hat backwards spinning a tiger shark on his hand, that's Eli Martinez. All right. Yeah. Total cowboy, but he's a really good guy. Um, he did my first shark dive, but it was here in California. Uh, blue Zamecos. Yeah. Saw a good eight foot long blue. But he was doing that in Mexico, and he found these people were just living desperate, you know. Uh, fishing day in day out and doing shark fishing and just catching everything and he worked with this group pelagic life to kind of give them pointers and stuff to develop how pelagic life kind of kept it going as i understand it to basically instead of fishing the sharks creating a tourist industry for the sharks mm. because if the sharks are still alive these people can take people out and have them dive with them and I think over the past couple years, the two in combination have created like a, a reoccurring trips down there for that purpose to build an industry around the idea of ecotourism. Yeah, I love that idea. I mean, that's that's applying market principles to a problem, right? I mean, they, they do that in Africa with uh, the safaris and the animals out down there, right? They the I don't remember the specific numbers, but a live tiger or lion has a lot more value than a dead one. 
right? Well, that's not, that's not totally the same, only in the sense that depending, like it's interesting because a lot of the places that are preserving them are also letting hunting too. Mm -hmm. So it's not. They call it culling. Well, culling, right? Because it's not it's not hunting for hunting's sake. It's those animals need to be removed from the herd because they're sick or they're old or they're killing young tigers mm. or whatever lions. There's no tigers in Africa. But no, there's but lions or like that was the big. Um, I don't want to get too controversial. Cecil. Here. I don't know about Cecil's specific situation, but the big <laughs> one was the guy in uh, Texas who shot a rhino, mm. or maybe he was. <clears throat> who was the dentist was that was Cecil? Cecil was dentist Cecil yeah. I don't know about Cecil the lion but there was a, basically like a, a guy who shot this rhino yeah um, and the whole thing about the rhino is he was past sexual prime so he wasn't really reproducing but he was killing the young male rhinos so he's essentially become a detriment to his uh, captive group I mean it's not captive it's a giant like 100 acre thing so they're like, we're going to kill him or we can auction it off to somebody who would like to kill a rhino for, you know, trophy purposes or meat purposes or whatever you want to call it. And they collect that money and put it back into the investment of the rest of the rhinos. It's yep. a sacrifice. It's it's kind of a it's it's an interesting way to approach wildlife management. Right. Because yeah. you have a problem. How do you deal with that problem in the most beneficial way? And I've I've heard this you story. Mon- you monetize it. You right? monetize it, and it sounds crazy because you're you're basically allowing some rich guy to yeah, come into the country weird. and and kill a rhino or whatever. But um, in the process, the money that this guy's paying for all these licenses and permits to do this stuff is supporting the rhino population that isn't old, that isn't past the breeding age, and so I. I but that's a market principle sort of idea, you know. That's a that's a cost benefit analysis sort of thing, you know. Not just the fact that we've got to take this this rhino out because it's causing damage. Right. So right. I, you know, I think. I but think it's sticky. Can, people people are not comfortable with that. It's sticky because it's not clean. It's not it's not simple. It's 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 complicated. Well, it's because people yeah. people are involved. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like when people are not involved and life and death happens and we can stay out of it, we feel like we have no just like we have no guilt. Right. But when we take part in it, all of a sudden there's a lot of people who've been sheltered from that who are not comfortable with it. Yeah. Like they don't they want people to be completely removed from the ecosystem when I don't know how true that is because we're constantly interacting whether we want to or not. It's just how are we interacting. Right. Yeah. You know, like factory farming. Absolutely. Is a whole thing, man. So it's a, it's, it's a nasty industry if you dig, and it doesn't even have to dig deep. If you no. just start scratching the surface of that, it gets no. very, very gross really quickly. Um, but, you know, back to our point about shark management, right? Um, you know, if, if they can find some way to convince these folks that, hey, there is money to be made, there's an industry here. Create an industry out of it. Yeah. Right? You know, the hard part is, in some parts of the world, that's a food staple. Yeah. You know, shark fin soup is a, is a luxury, but shark meat is not for some people. Right, right, right. And so, and also, by the way, the rhinos and, and stuff like that, those are usually, the meat is harvested and the locals eat that as well. Yeah, in, in situations that, that is like a that. big thing, yeah. <clears throat> but, 
You don't I, think you can eat an elephant, but you can actually eat yeah. elephant. There's a lot of bush meat that that gets eaten in Africa. It happens all the time, and I mean that's that's why they call it bush meat. It's just people go out and kill something to eat it because that's the only resources they have. My favorite episode of show with anthony bourdain is he goes out to africa and he's with like these i don't even know i can't remember the name of the tribe whatever they were but they're just like these people who live like people lived ten thousand years ago like they're the most like traditional way they go out and kill something they barely cook it And they just barely cook it, and he eats it. And he says that was the worst episode he ever did because he was sick for two weeks after oh, that. My God. Like oh. almost immediately too, because they just—it's just they're used to it because they live that day in and day out. Sure. Here comes this dude from America. Yeah. Who shows up and tries to eat the half-cooked warthog or whatever it was, and just nope. Yeah, so, but if you gave them a glass of cow milk, they'd probably have a similar reaction, right? Um, yeah. Right. So I mean, it's it's what you're used to. Yeah. I mean. Cow milk is a is a weird thing, and our meat processing is weird, and can have it you know the nitrates and stuff like that can have effect on a lot of people. Nitrates but apparently are really bad. We're we're kind of used to it, and you know if you if if you're buying your stuff at the grocery store, you're you're exposed to it. If you're not, and you come into the country, that might give you a, a bad case of the, the shits or something, you know, or a terrible stomach ache for a week or something. Everybody that I know who's gone to India, they say the first two weeks are illness. <laughs> Just to get adjusted to what everything it is. Oh, man. I couldn't even imagine. No, I can't. But it is, it is, I'm fascinated with the idea that, like, you could create ecotourism that would benefit or create enough financial stability for people. I don't know if tourism is that scalable to be an economic benefit. Yeah. There are some places that survive off of it, though. Sure. Palau. Palau is a huge tourist uh, place. Uh, I mean, Mexico's tourist industry has gotten amazing. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to go that far. I mean, look at Hawaii. Hawaii, you know, the what is that, like 80% of their industry is uh, tourism? I mean... I can't even imagine how COVID hurt them. Seriously. Seriously. Um, I'm looking forward to going back. So what island do you go to? Can we take a break? Oh, yeah. You need the bathroom? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm starting to squirm. Thank you. I hate to be rude, but I'm... you're not rude. Not peeing I... yourself in front of me is not rude. <laughs> yeah, so we typically go to Kauai, but uh, we've been to all of them except for Niihau, I think. Niihau? Yeah. What is Niihau? It's one of the islands. Is it tiny? It's uh, very unpopulated. There's like, I think, a, a couple resorts and a couple golf courses and a t- small community. We've never gone there. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing it too. But um, we, our next trip, we want to go back to the Big Island because the Big Island feels the most um, wild. Non, non-tourist? Yeah, it feels so wild because, you know, with the active volcano and stuff like that and actually being able to go and you can – one of the coolest things is you can walk through a rainforest that is in the crater of a volcano, an active volcano. It's just the it's just the weirdest place on earth. That is pretty true. And then you can go and you can see the lava flows and stuff like that. It's just amazing. And as you cruise up the uh, the west coast of the island, you know it's moonscape and yeah. it'll be moonscape black. Yeah. So then you'll have um, you know black ash or black rock 
lava flow and you know that's that that flow is dated back to you know whatever 200 years ago and then you have a red flow and then a gray flow and it's just all these what's the, the life like what's the different colors it's, signify? it's it's the 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 age i think of the lava of how long it's been exposed isn't isn't the red flow the newest i don't know are that, you, no, i'm not talking this is like just the rock this is oh, after this is it's like already cool color of the rock yeah okay. yeah 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 it's 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 literally like the moonscape uh, but but then it'll just the, the whole landscape will be black you drive for a little bit longer and then it just turns gray and it's just different flows over the years hundreds of years that they've been monitoring it and uh yeah it's crazy that is one of my favorite things that i have not seen i want to see that lava coming into the water yeah. like that just looks so cool yeah yeah. I've not seen it go into the water, but I've seen it when we were there last, uh, it was, it, it wasn't actively erupting, but right. it was, it was churning over lava in the, in the crater. So yeah. you could see lava down there. It just wasn't flowing anywhere at the time, but they've had a lot of, a lot of flow since then. It's crazy that it's active. It's yeah. crazy that that's the biggest of the islands. Yeah. So I don't know if that plate is not moving or if the other islands eroded over time or what happened but it's my understanding that's what they believe happens it's just it's so big and it hasn't eroded yet it's so young essentially huh. it's wild to think about isn't it it's it makes you wonder what happens so we did a we did a camping trip out at one of the channel islands yeah they're saying those are all volcano um volcanic. i did not know that yeah catalina is from the mainland okay. like if you actually piece it up like Baja California is ripped off of Mexico and Catalina is like an extension of that. But apparently somewhere in the mix there, like Anacapa and Santa Cruz and uh, uh, a couple of I don't, the other ones are volcanic. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And if you look at it, the rock looks kind of volcanic, hmm. especially like the arch and stuff. And so there's an arch there and I'm like, all that stuff just eroding away like what is the process like how does it get to the point where you have a solid wall of rock and then eventually one day it's an arch or pillars yeah it's just amazing it is amazing i want a time lapse of that <laughs> i think that's going to be a, a long clock? time lapse yeah yeah one picture every 500 years <laughs> right yeah have you ever been out to arches national park in utah uh, I have not made it to Arches. I've been to Zion, and I recently, finally, went to the Grand Canyon, which I was disappointed. Really? Wasn't as grand as you were hoping? Uh, I mean, it was just grand. It just, uh... God, I sound like an ass. <laughs> Grand Canyon wasn't that cool, guys. I've seen better. Like, I, there's no way I can recover from this. Uh, it just, it was, it was massive. It was expansive, but it wasn't just as, uh... It, like, I, I've heard people talk about it in such an awe-inspiring manner. And I've also heard people say, like, we didn't go down into it. So yeah. I think maybe changing levels on it would be a, a different thing. But we looked at it from the top, and I was just like, yeah. Big hole. I, I'm not that cynical about it. Like, it wasn't just a big <laughs> hole. It was it was, imp it was impressive, but, like, I still i am more attracted to places like Sedona that yeah. have, like, beautiful structures of, of, of erosion that show like layers of rock and it's just aesthetically like mm -hmm. more pleasing to the eye in my opinion monument national park 
I haven't been there, but that's another place. I want to go see the mittens. Yeah. I haven't been there since I was a child. Yeah. Uh, but I have fond memories, and I look to I look forward to going back soon. That looks like a place where it would be great to go dirt biking. Yeah. Just dirt biking. I don't know if you world. can. I, I, thought I, think a lot was... of, I thought a lot of it was protected, but I don't know. Isn't it? Is it? I thought it was all Native American land. I could be wrong. It's a national park, so I'm going to go with probably not. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a Google search could bail us out of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, you were talking about the volcanoes. That's interesting. So the, the islands were part of an active eruption. Yeah. Like, I can't even think of what would be a volcano near here uh, that that would have fed that. I mean, they weren't individual volcanoes, right? I don't know. I can't remember. They don't have the topography like that. You know, you think of Mount Fuji and, you know, the big island, and it's got this giant, you know, cone-shaped mountain that is a volcano now well, that's now yeah i got gotcha. you see you in two million <laughs> years a-hole. right yeah yeah i got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you i mean it doesn't necessarily look like catalina would be attached to mexico but it might have been attached to mexico yeah so, you know so you were you started talking about camping out there yeah so it's a crazy spot uh no water you have to hike your water in. We did an overnight with a little little lass. So the, the little girl came with us. Cool. And um, I can say that spending the night on that island uh, did something that I never thought would actually happen, which gave me a fondness for seagulls. Those nasty, mm. squawking, terrible birds uh, were more like natural birds instead of just fry thieves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's a it's a breeding ground for them, so yeah. it's like a it's kind of a protected area, and they acted more like what you would expect a bird to act like on National Geographic. Yeah. They were doing like dominance behaviors. They were sighting uh, out territories. They were like doing uh, mating beha- mating rituals and like nesting, uh, a little bit of fornication. Nice. If, if you're into that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it just like they just. They seem like wild birds instead of things that had been polluted by living near humans, yeah. you know? Like, that's normally what I think of when I see that, seagulls. That's really cool. Now, um, the so the conditions are really primitive if you have to take in your own water. Do you pack a tent? Are there bathroom facilities? I want to know these answers. Pit, pit toilets. So the dro- long drop? The long drop, but I'll say this. The nicest, the nicest pit toilets I've ever been part of um i i didn't have a problem with them there was nothing foul or unpleasant about them uh and that's saying something uh the a it's tent and the only other bummer about camping out there is you got to pack in and pack out your trash yeah Uh, which actually is like a really cool experience because you get to kind of really see how much trash you create in a short period of time and it makes you think yeah uh, you know, how much stuff we have packaged and stuff. But um, it's a really beautiful place. Like, it's worth an overnight. I don't know if I would do more than one night there. Um, we want to do Santa Cruz Island because Santa Cruz Island has a lot more facilities. They also have the Channel Island Fox, which is like this. It's not a, it's not, it's a wild fox, but they're pretty mellow as far as wild animals go. Yeah, they have them on Catalina. I've seen them on do Catalina. They, I've yeah. never seen them on Catalina. Yeah. Do they really? Yeah, you'll see them. So the only thing that I so I want I still need to see a buffalo. Are you kidding me? I've never seen a buffalo. 
I've seen a buffalo chip, so, a very fresh <laughs> buffalo chip, but I've never seen a buffalo. What's the what's the like beginner campground over there at uh, at Catalina like? Uh... So there's one on that's kind of on the windward side that's big. This one is like Holy Jim Trail, but I know it's not Holy Jim. That's a different place altogether. But it's it's like Old Man Trail or Old Man Campground. It's okay. very it's it's like very much the basics. Okay. And uh, like when you say the basics, you mean like it's primitive. It's it's primitive, but it's also very easy. Okay, so it's you're easy. you know there there's a lot of elevation change changes on the island, and this. Yeah. So is it like? primitive it's primitive but it's also like the beginner hike okay so you don't have the huge elevation changes that you do if you're going to the backside or if you're hiking out of uh, two harbors there's some big climbs if you're going out of two harbors so it's easier than that and um on that hike it's very very common to come across the buffalo and the last time my son went hiking over there they were literally in the campground so you just had to stand and wait for them to mosey on out of the campground to set up your they're, tent. They're a big animal. They're huge. They're not to be trifled with. The, they're, the, the island buffalo are not as big as what you're going to get at like Yellowstone. Yeah. They're still massive. They're still big. They're still massive, yeah. Also, so there was a plan to kind of cull them down to like a, like what they thought was a manageable herd. I think it was down... Like, at its height, I think there was 300 on the island. And I think they wanted it down to, like, 100. And I don't know if they did something to do that. I can't remember what the story was. I heard a story, and I don't know if it's true, that they were actually using birth control on these animals to to limit the... How do you, how do you make a bison take a pill? I Well, I think they were darting them, but I, I don't really know. You know, I, I would imagine it's probably easier to dart an animal than to try to stop them from procreating, but... I don't want to get in between that. <laughs> no, no, either one sounds There's, fun. Yeah. But I, I honestly don't know if that's true. Um, that would be an interesting question, though, because, again, we were ta- like we were talking earlier about wildlife management. They're, non, they're non-native, but People you still have them. to ma- manage them. People love them. People love them. Of course. Like, what is it? I don't – is it – there's at least one dive shop that has the bison and the dive flag as the, like their logo, <laughs> yeah. which is great. Like it's kind of cool. Like I'll be honest. So the other crazy story is, uh, you know, the story with Santa Cruz Island. I don't know if I do. Santa Cruz Island had Roosevelt elk on it. I did not know this. Yeah. So they wiped those guys out. So they actually had um, a pretty good sized herd and people would go out there and hunt Roosevelt elk. The problem was, and the reason that they justified basically exterminating them, is they were so prolific at eating Mm -hmm. that they would actually eat the vegetation down and it was causing erosion problems. Mm. And so it was essentially eroding the island quicker because these elk were out there. Yeah. And they they wiped them out. Yeah, they had to do that with the, uh, I don't know if they're javelina, but the wild pigs on Catalina. For years they had a problem with the javelina. Oh, really? Yeah, and I they were, as I recall, it was like open season. If you just want to go kill pigs, any time of the year you could go over there because they were because of the erosion issues. If they'll root around and they'll just tear up the ground. They're the worst. They're really bad. I've seen them in Hawaii as well, in, in Kauai, where they've just tore up riverbanks and everything. They can be very, very destructive animals. And, again, they're non-native. The, the so Hawaiians like them, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the lions, the lions have a weird perspective on those guys, which is like, the pigs have been here as long as we have. Are we evasive species that need to be removed from the islands? Like, it's kind of like a, where do you draw the line question, which they put themselves yeah. into, right? Yeah. Which is very, it's a bold statement, but... It's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, well, I think they've hunted. I think they've hunted the uh, the pigs on Catalina for a long time. If you ever go in Antonio's, right there on the storefront, yeah, all the stuffed pigs' heads and stuff in there. Oh, that's good. yeah. They've got it. They've probably got a half a dozen in there. So yeah, um, that's interesting though. I mean, it is a food source, but on an island like Catalina, you don't need a food source. You know, well, I could see it's... where maybe Hawaii. For native people who want to don't want to go to the grocery store, yeah, I could see where they could utilize that as a as a food source, protein. Well, it's also it's very different environments, right? Like Hawaii is not having an issue with erosion because of the pigs. Fair, you Fair. know what I'm saying? Different different climates, different issues. Yeah, yeah. dude, there's, there's so many cool places in the world. Yeah, what's on your short list? Uh, well, I'm I'm going to France. Nice. Uh, but after France, I'm going to Costa Rica. Cool. And Costa Rica, I'm pretty excited about. There's, I'm either going to do one of two islands. One is with giant mantis, and then the other is with bull sharks, which we did bull sharks together. <sighs> do you remember yeah. that? In Fiji, yeah, In Fiji, of course. We yeah. Did bull sharks that together. was epic. That was really epic. They had a pretty safe program. That's a controversial program, though. Some people get very up in arms because it's a feeding station. Right. And people don't like that. But, um, you know, I can – regardless, it was pretty amazing. You know, it, it, that's that's a that's an interesting subject to talk about because um, for you or me to go out and have an experience with a wild bull shark, it's going to be Emphas- difficult. Emphasis on wild. Right. Yeah. Because they are wild animals. They may be – habituated or whatever but they they're wild animals so for us to go out and have an experience with one let alone as many as you do there and tigers and other things it's pretty incredible and it kind of it kind of brings me back to the whole like sea world argument right zoo argument yeah and the zoo argument it's like when i was a child i loved sea world and and sea world was instrumental in me having a love for the ocean that I still have today. Now, I understand the cruelty of it now as an adult that I didn't understand as a child, right. uh, especially for the big mammals. Um, but it gives people an opportunity to see stuff that, you know, oftentimes people don't have the resources to go up to BC and see wild orcas. Right. Right? I mean, 100%. I look forward to doing that someday. I've never seen one in the wild. I look forward to it, but... It's an expense that a lot of people aren't going to have, but a day trip to SeaWorld, you can see all sorts of things, and you maybe can see it can implant hundred different species in a day. Yeah, and it can plant a love and an appreciation for that natural resource, that wild animal, that you might not develop otherwise, that you don't get from a book or from a documentary. It's controversial and it's difficult. I know, it's a, it's and a I'm conflicted. Thing to parse out. Yeah, I'm, it's like how do you? How do you balance those two things? Like, how do you balance an institution that takes money from people but simultaneously promotes a natural resource so that people will support endeavors to protect it? 
but simultaneously maybe harms the individual animals that are in that institution. Yeah. That that's not an easy question. I I wouldn't pretend to know the answer. I mean, I know I know I don't like the idea, you know, of large intelligent marine mammals in those places. I don't But what about a dumb shark? Dumb sharks I'm okay with. <laughs> like yeah. a sand tiger shark, I don't think they care. Yeah. Like if you have a if you have a giraffe in the zoo, I don't think the giraffe cares. The giraffe is like it's cool. Yeah. It's yeah. like there's certain things like a clownfish never leaves its jelly or its uh, sea anemone. It's not gonna. Doesn't matter where that sea anemone is. No, it, it yeah. knows the boundaries of six inches outside that sea anemone. Beyond that, it will never know. A dolphin that travels hundreds of miles in its lifetime typically is confined to a pen of 50 yards. Like, okay, you could see some moral issues there. Right, right. It starts to feel like an animal prison at some point. It's true. It's true. But, but again, how do you – this comes back to kind of the same thing we were talking about. How do you balance out the cost to say that one rhino dying to protect the other 10 rhinos? Yep. Like, how many rhinos would it have to protect before it would be justifiable to you? Right. Is the answer zero? Because if the answer is there's no rhino you can kill to protect other rhinos. You might lose the herd because you, you, you're you not courageous you have, enough to make that calling choice. This, it's, like a mil, it's like a military, right? It's like a military. Like, we have to take that part. How many men are we going to lose to take that point? Right. If we take that point, we may win the war. We may save everybody in our country. It's like, ooh. Yeah. It's a tough call. For sure. For sure, I, I don't know if I'm the person. Right, and and that's the thing about the 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 trip in Fiji is is you know, I know I went into that trip having a love affair with sharks, and enjoy every chance I get to see them in the wild. Yeah, but you've been out on shark trips when I had the charter business, and oh, you yeah. know how difficult it is to get a shark even to look at you, let alone hang around yeah. long enough to get a picture of it or get your fins on and get in the water. Yeah, sometimes you see them, and by the time you're ready to get in the water, they're gone. Yeah, it's so mind blowing. It's it, it, you know, it's um, those are tricky questions that I yeah, you know, conflicted about a lot. But uh, I I I have no right or wrong answer. But I do think that there is something about what I see happening in California, where they're shutting down areas to people. Some of the Channel Islands, they're they're absolutely shutting off those areas to people visiting them. And I think that's wrong. How do you get people to care about the natural resources that are there if they can't even visit it, can't even see it? That So, yeah, what is the value of something if nobody can interact it or touch it? Yeah. I mean, I... I... There's value, but, but, but my point is this, to get people to care, because to, to preserve things, it takes resources. Right. Right? There's and... a dollar amount that it takes to have an area... Right, and for people to give those resources, they have to care, right? And so if they don't care, they're going to start wanting to cut those resources. Do you think that that speaks to a bigger kind of idea in our culture right now, which is the individuals don't really need to know that much, and they just need to support a general idea, and us, the... So maybe people who have... The inside track have this kind of notion that they they know better. Hmm. I mean, there's times in history where that's definitely the case. The people are like, 
the people in charge are like, we know better. We're going to make the decisions. We just need to find a way to convince everybody else to support us. Hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of that around. Yeah. There's that sort of babysitting mentality. Like, yeah. you don't need to know why you have to go to bed at this time. I'm just your babysitter. Because I said so. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I don't know. I just... Um... I think you're right, though. I think people need to see value in it for themselves to buy into it. Yeah. You, the reason I bring that up is because I, I think you know that I was involved with uh, Ships to Reef, California Ships to Reef, oh. for a long time. Yes. And uh, I was on the board of directors and everything. And um, I experienced a lot of pushback in different ways in that organization. And you've dove reefs. You know what a draw it can be to to the sea life that otherwise does not have a place to call home. Right. right. I mean, the Yukon's a great example. It's just a sandy bottom. You put a structure there, and all of a sudden, things start coming around. They start having babies. They you have you develop an ecosystem. But I've also had pushback from people who see Rex as humans trash. Ugh. And so it's like, well, you know, I get it. You see the world differently than I do. I see it as using something that we have and repurposing it for the good. You see it as just humans trash on the bottom of the sea and you see it as it's better that those creatures that may have established themselves there don't have a home or don't even exist because they're never born there that's i i can't are these people who've actually been to an underwater wreck yeah yeah the the, the person who actually told me that uh he's not a course director but he's damn near a course director oh my God, yeah, that is mind blowing. But but I've had other pushback similar to that. Like people are like, "Well, I don't know. I'm worried about the toxins." It's like, "No, no, we clean it." And it's like, "Yeah, but I don't know if it's cleaned enough." And it's like, you know, so That's a, those are two different arguments, though. True. One is one is an argument of saying like, "Hey, I don't like the idea because this feels like humans dumping." The other is like, "I don't know if we can do this responsibly." Mm. Those are two very different things. One is a. Uh, much more idealistic mm-hmm. like this feels like human trash it was like okay but what's the difference between doing something like reef balls reef balls are concrete structures that you put down and within a course of 10 years you have a massive reef structure that's grown all over it mm-hmm. it just needed something to attach to what is the difference between a rock and that literally nothing but you could argue that that's human trash right Right, and and the difference is, is the ship will eventually disintegrate. Right, it's it's crazy to me that people do this. But uh, you know, I see this coming ahead because it's been floated around for a number of years now with the offshore rigs, right? As these oil platforms run through their useful life, and they're talking about removing them, and then divers who have been underneath these rigs see all the life that is on those rigs and says, "Wait a second, before you tear everything down." Maybe we have something here that's worth preserving. There's there's too many large environmental groups who are against it. Yeah. Like, in California, I'm not going to name names, but there's a couple that are dead set against anything because they're afraid of the power of the oil companies. And I'm not going to say that they're totally wrong in the fact that they're distrustful of, of practices of industry who's trying to cut costs. Like, I think there's real legitimate examples of that in the past. On the other hand, I don't think they know what they're talking about. I think you could put parameters in place um, where, I mean, I I dive the oil rigs all the time. They are a massive and amazing ecosystem underneath the water. 
Um, there is no place in California where you see an abundance of certain types of life like you do there. Yeah. It is a unique structure that attr- that attracts a specific type of life. And on those rigs, the level of abundance of brittle stars and scallops and matridians and, fil- you know, like there's just so much I don't see how you can make the justification that yeah. the, the, it would be better if those were not there. Right. I, I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, species that within recreational dive limits, I don't know if you could find another place with the abundancy that these these wrecks have. And imagine how epic it would be to have the platform removed and, you you're know. Just, uh, you're just mooring to a mooring an ball invisible thing. Floating above it that you can tie boats into. Uh, you wouldn't even need to change fishing charts because you'd still, or I'm sorry, uh, navigational charts because you just leave the rig there as yeah. if it was there and boats would go around it. Yeah, or or they could cut it down to 40 feet or something so that it's not Everything worth. Everything would clear. Yeah, I, but I, you know that's something that's coming up. Uh, that's part of because ships to reef. Uh, that was that was part of it. It wasn't just shipwrecks. It was you know other things. You'd mentioned the uh, the concrete balls and uh, that sort of stuff, and there. The thing with the platform, I think, is going to be a big fight, but I think it's a good fight to have to protect some of these species that and these epic dive sites, by the way. Yeah, I, I mean, I hate to be too coarse about it, but I'm more. I mean, I don't think the spe- any of the species would necessarily be endangered or I like that there's habitat for them, but I don't I think it's more about the dive sites. If I'm going to be so selfish about it, I think it's great. I think. I think the scallops and the opportunity for people to engage in uh, personal harvest of food is fantastic. Um, I just also think they're just a cool, unique place that it would be like, you know, it'd be like going and tearing down a Colosseum or a Notre Dame. Like, there's this grand structure that sits there and it is an amazing experience just to be in the presence of it underwater and people don't there's another group of people who are upset because it's built by man yeah yeah and it i i, I don't think you can rationally look at it and see that no good has come from that structure being right. there should they cap the well? Should they clean everything up? A hundred percent. Sure. But that structure has now taken on multiple purposes. Maybe not the intended purpose, but another purpose. Yeah. yeah. And 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 to that fact is, you know, there I, there are some people who look at the world as it is, and there's some people who look at the world as they wish it to be. And the the wish it to be people are like, no, it needs to go back to exactly the way it was, as if man never set foot here. And it's like, well. That's great, except for... Is it, though? Well, I mean, how else do you describe it? Well, if you want the world to be as if man was never here, then you're essentially wanting the world to be as if man was extinct. Well, I was was speaking specifically about the platforms, but yeah. But no, but even then, like, why... I I don't... There's a a little... I'm not going to say it's the whole thing, because there's legitimate justifications for this. There's a little bit of human hate. In that, sure. you know, there's a little bit of guilt slash disgust with humans, sure. and I understand that. 
and I, I see where it comes from. I don't think it's the only thing that is true about human experience on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's examples where people have done things both good and bad for the environment. Sure. You know, sure. Uh, our national parks are a treasure that came out of the fact that we recognize their importance. I mean, there's places, the old world in Europe, there's, you know, I mean, okay, not to get, not to speak of America too much, but like (laughs) one of the things I noticed is when I was in Italy, I went uh, east of Rome and I forget the name of the city, but the entire coastline is covered with buildings and these things that are just falling apart. And during the summer, it's completely populated. We were there during the winter and it was, it was, it was disgusting and gross. You drive down the coast of California and people from Europe, they come here and they say, oh, there's no buildings on the coast. It's like, no, people get beach access. People have these things. And I'm not saying that there should never be anything built on the coast, but like we've done things to protect it. And that's good. Now, should there never, ever be anything built there? I mean, I think it shouldn't be the majority, right? Yeah. But my point with the platform, though, is, you know, we talk about protecting ecosystems and that sort of stuff. And you're talking about preservation of coastline. And that's all great. I agree with it 100 percent. But what we're talking about with the platform is this is an ecosystem that didn't exist 60 years ago or whenever they built the platforms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have this ecosystem on this man-made structure that its useful life is coming to an end. And what do we want to do with it? And I'm just saying, I think that, you do know, you want to destroy it is the, is the real question. Yeah. I mean, I, I to me, I, th- there's so many, there's so many benefits that outweigh the negative. I just, but, but I, I think some of the organizations you're talking about that have issue with this are some of the same organizations that have, you know, beliefs that, you know, they would rather your dog be dead or never born than be your pet. Stuff like that. You know, there's... I think there's... I know the organization you're talking about. <laughs> but they would never say that out loud. Yeah. they That's their actions. But there's other ones that are more mainstream. Too. Yeah. And it's... But I, but I do think there's a little bit of human hate. Yeah. And it's cynical and it's dark. And I think it's, it's one-sided. But I, I agree with you. Like, why would you want to destroy an environment? If that environment, so like, what is the difference if man makes that environment or if nature, there's an earthquake and something falls, if man touches it, is it immediately contaminated? I don't think so. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. As long as it's not polluting, you know, as as long as there's not toxins being put in the environment. Right. That's a whole different story. But yeah, I mean. An inert structure that, you know, with a, a plugged well at the seafloor. That will dissolve on its own. Over the it next doesn't have, 50 to 100 years. Yeah. And and people can enjoy it until then. Yeah. And these animals can live there. And maybe if it collapses in on itself, which it eventually will, because yeah. it won't be maintained, it'll just return to the sea. Yep. And, you know, to make a little bit of a full circle on uh, human and the environment. Uh, we were talking earlier about the white sea bass. Yeah. Do you know why this white sea bass is the the, the uh, population is so high here? Yeah. Do you know why? Oh yes. Because fishermen harvest eggs and they grow baby 
white sea bass in almost every harbor in Southern California. And then they release them to the wild. And because they've been doing that so long that we've seen a, a rebound of that species. Yep. And now we're seeing, you know, the the state record was set not even 10 years ago, I don't think. So these fish are becoming not only mature but and breathing and breeding age, but massive creatures that are, you know, out there for providing food source and sporting for people to enjoy. That is not a government agency. That is just fishermen on their own saying, we got to do something. And I'm wondering if there's something that we can do in the dive community that kind of directs things like that with the platforms. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's an organization or what, but there, there has to be, there, there is actually an organization that's pushing that it's called blue latitudes. Okay. It was originally kind of pushed as a uh, rigs to reefs, but they are collecting money and pro- promoting um, legislature to help make that happen. I'm not familiar with them. Rigs blue? To, blue, blue latitudes is the actual foundation, but um, they used to be rigs to reefs. Okay. And they, they do education on this whole thing. And I think they're promoting it across the U.S. as far as I know. I, I probably shouldn't speak. I should probably just let the people go and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But but I know they are advocating for this thing because the rigs are, oh gosh, they're such a treasure. Like yeah. for diving, they're such a treasure. I was out there, what was it, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, something like that. And just awesome. Yeah. There's just no place like it. Yep. There's no place like it. And I, I honestly think the same thing is true about diving the wrecks. You know, we were just, I was just talking to somebody about the Olympic wreck, which was, was the Olympic, the Olympic was an accidental wreck. Oh, yeah, I believe so, but I, uh, oh, yeah, I, I don't know my mm. history on that one, but it's an amazing wreck and it's falling apart. The Ruby E's collapsed in. Somebody yeah. just told me the other day that the front part of the Yukon actually collapsed down and I'm like, man, what are we going to do? Like, these are really cool structures that provide great habitat for animals and, and, you know, it's they they have to run their course, but are we going to put anything else out there? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be that experience? Are people going to have that connection to the ocean that will cause them to fight for things that matter for the ocean? It's like these are the things that get people involved. I think it's it, at, at the cheapest, most shallow part of their purpose. They're at the least a PR campaign for mm. why we should protect the ocean. True. True. They definitely bring people's awareness to it, right? If 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 or the organizations that are promoting it are, are doing their job, that's what they should be talking about is promoting the the splendor that is what we have in the ocean, right? And how what they're doing can not compete with it, but just augment it. Yeah. You know. So interesting stuff. Well, Greg, I think we'll cut it off there. Um, with hope for future habitat and uh, amazing dive experiences. I don't think we can hope for anything better than that. Absolutely. Uh, good talking to you, man. Likewise. I hope we Thanks get for to having do me. It again. Yeah, appreciate it.